Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello, I'm Joe Devine and welcome to the Tifo Football Podcast. I have returned uh, from a brief stint away on holiday. I'd like to say a quick thank you to Josh for covering the podcast for the two weeks that I wasn't here. If you so desire, uh, you can abandon ship here and go over to This Football Life, which is our other football podcast, and uh, listen to Josh every week, because uh, that's where he'll be normally. Those episodes are released on a Wednesday, I believe, uh, and they're always fascinating, so do make sure to check them out and show Josh some love. For my returning podcast, I was joined by Alex Stewart. We'd hope to talk about stats uh, with specific reference to XG and XA. That's a new one. We made a couple of videos about those uh, two metrics recently. Alex explains them, uh, and we'd hope to discuss them and their use, uh, in particular the context they're used in, uh, although we became derailed uh, when I insisted upon talking about artificial intelligence and the future, uh, which, if you'll agree with me, is more interesting anyway. Um, so I hope you stick around to enjoy that uh, towards the end. And as I say during the podcast, if anything I've said is um, highly likely is uh, scientifically inaccurate or perhaps just stupid, please do let me know. <laughs> I love learning and uh, I, I would appreciate any uh, hideous feedback that you have, so uh, please, please do let me know. On that note, if you would like to feed us back about anything else, you can do. Uh, we're on Twitter at TifoFootball underscore. I believe we're on Instagram and Facebook under the same handle. And if you're desperate, you can email us at info at tifofootball.com as well with any suggestions, ideas, comments or uh, criticisms um, or even insults, if you like. Beyond that, uh, it's nice to be back and I do hope you enjoy... Oh no, one more thing. Apologies, I forgot about this. That's my phone. Probably cut this bit out. In our partnership with the Bundesliga, uh, we are making tactical YouTube videos for their YouTube channel. You may have already seen a couple, uh, but we've kicked it up a notch and we've done something quite exciting. Lots of people often ask us why we don't use live footage in the YouTube videos that we make for our channel. The reason it is obviously uh, rights. We don't have the rights to do it. The videos will be taken down. We're not allowed to show them, basically. However, with the Bundesliga... The same such principles don't apply because they have the rights to show a lot of the footage from the Bundesliga. So that's very exciting for us, which means we have been able to use live footage uh, in our tactical videos for the first time publicly. So that's nice. If you want to watch that, head over to the Bundesliga's YouTube channel. The video is about Hamas Rodriguez uh, playing for Bayern Munich. And there's lots of uh, live action footage that Alex analyzes and we put together in a sort of TIFO live action football video thing. Um, we'd love some feedback on it as well because it's, it's a new thing we're doing so any suggestions that you have for how we can improve it or you know other things that you'd like to see um, or even other players you'd like to see the videos made about as well, do leave comments on either the Bundesliga comments section on that particular video or as I said before you can contact us through one of the other means 
Um, but uh, we're very excited about that. So yeah, do go and have a watch. But thanks very much for downloading this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed recording it, as did Alex, I believe. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. So we made a video on, on the YouTube channel a couple of weeks ago about expected goals, uh, which is a uh, statistical metric, Alex, that has been popularised uh, very recently, uh, largely through its use on Match of the Day and heavy discussions regarding it on football Twitter, uh, which for Luddites who don't understand, football Twitter is just an affectionate name for that uh, online social media group of people who shout at each other about sport. Um expected goals and expected assists also we made we made that video too so firstly i suppose alex i'd just like to ask you what your opinion is on expected goals because it 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 can cause lots of controversy um as stats more generally can i suppose i it polarizes people some who perhaps more purists who think that the game can't be statistically analyzed to the point that would you know bear fruit because of its fluidity uh, and those uh, who perhaps you are more in the camp of, who think, you know, maybe it can, maybe there's something to learn from this. So with expected goals in mind, what do you think? I think there's definitely something to learn from it. I, I think, look, you you can't boil football down to numbers. And, and I don't think any reasonable person would think that. Um, I think one of the problems that you get around the stats community particularly on twitter is that some members of it can seem maybe a little acerbic or possibly even slightly defensive when people criticize them and and that the response is not necessarily instructive or helpful that some of the language around it is quite complex difficult for people who maybe don't naturally follow that way of thinking or aren't familiar with with the the knowledge that is required to produce that sort of material that it's designed to exclude them in some way which is it's not to me stats are an element of understanding football and that is all they are and and it's the same as as analyzing tactics or the same as you know it it all goes into this kind of overall melting pot of saying how can we understand how a team is playing, why it's doing certain things that it's doing, why some things are working, why some things aren't working. And that's the interesting thing actually about expected goals is that one way of interpreting it, and th- and this is you know a very broad way and we can talk about it properly later on, but one way of interpreting it is that it sort of tells you if you haven't seen the game uh, but you've seen the result, the uh, expected goals uh, number for each team might tell you how many perhaps they they might have scored or like who had the be- who had the better game or if the game played out in such a way as that one team attacked lots but didn't manage to score the other team defended lots but scored one on the break and that's that's sort of the thing that you would already know if you just if you watched the game without really needing to apply a number to so expected goals is an interesting one for that reason i think that's why people get on its back does that make sense yeah totally so the the classic rejoinder to an expected say you've got you've got the blues versus the reds and the blues win one nil but the blues have an xg of a half and the reds have an xg of four right so 
somebody would say, well, the Reds made really good chances, you know, by XG eight times better. And the, the easy response to that is, yeah, but the Blues won, so your number is meaningless. And that is not the point of XG. The point what of is it, the point? <laughs> well, the, the, there's one very, very quick point to make about anybody who complains about stats in football um, is that the score of a football match is a stat. Yeah, notice so, how he dodged the question there, listeners. No, no, I'm not uh, dodging the question. I'm, 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 I'm moving I'm on to you. the question. I know you are. <laughs> you sound like a politician, Alex. But X- ca- please carry on. Yeah, XG is... Uh, there's no oh, way here I, we go. There's no way I'd be a politician because there's too many skeletons. Um, XG is a reflection of the volume and quality of the chances created in a game. So, for example, say you are... The attacking team is peppering the opponent's goal, right? They're they're shooting all over the place, but it's all from outside the penalty area. And the opposition managed to break and they go right down through the wing and pull a ball back on the edge of the six-yard box to the top of the six-yard box where there's a striker who smashes it in. Anybody watching that game would would be able to summarise that by saying, well, you know, one side, they shot a lot from distance, but they didn't really get close. They didn't really produce very much. The side that won, they had one chance, but it was a really good chance on the break and they shot from very near and that's why it went in. That That's all that XG is. XG is that explanation, but in a number. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me let me ask you this then, and I think this is one of the reasons why XG draws criticism, and perhaps rightly so, because it's used on match of the day nowadays, right? So after you know you're watching the highlights of the game, and of course you're not watching the whole game, but if if what XG is for is to sort of explain what's happened in a game, the stuff that happens in the game that the scoreline doesn't really tell you about then why is it necessary to sort of aimlessly use it and shove it on the screen after the highlights of the game that you've just watched? And you will instinctively know what, you know, you could make a guess at the XG value of the game or, or each team based on what you've just seen. So is it not meaningless in, in that context? And is that perhaps one of the reasons why people dislike it? I think the BBC's use of it is problematic because I think, look, I, as somebody who has done work on stats in various forms um, and not just for football actually I'm pleased to see stats getting a a wider audience even if that opens them up to in fact actually because it opens them up to more criticism because because there are are some stats that are used that that show something that is of interest that you might have missed when you were watching the game and I think everyone would agree that those those sorts of metrics are very useful yeah and and obviously also I, I would point out at, at this juncture that that stats as a term kind of gets applied to different groups of things so you might say for example i don't know um huddersfield haven't beaten southampton in 64 years right i, I know that's not true or maybe it is i don't know i just made it up that is a stat right if it's true it's a stat it's a completely different stat to saying when Huddersfield last played Southampton, Huddersfield had an XG of 0.5 and Southampton had an XG of 2. It's also a to- 
that again is a totally different type of stat from saying that you know this Southampton striker's got five goals in four games. Like these are all some are kind of just the the registering and noting of events. Some are historical, but that bears no real relevance to you know just because a team hasn't beaten another team in sixty four years that that doesn't really mean anything about the game that's just about to happen. Certain elements of it require computation and require programming in some instances to derive them and and are quite useful and and others are just basically counting stuff up and then seeking to draw inference from it. So the word stats or metrics or however you want to, it kind of covers a multitude of sins of different things that have different applicability and, and can be used in different ways. I think the issue that match of the day have is that in in a kind of a lead into a match you know they might say oh it's it's been 10 years since man united won at liverpool and isn't that exciting because they're they're telling a story they're building a narrative and everyone knows what the result is so it might be a confirmation that you know the the winless run continues or look they've upset the apple cart or whatever the way they've used XG is they've just kind of thrown it in there in the same way that they tend to throw in lots of other things. Totally without context. Right. Now, the most useful way to use XG, as I said about any other stat, is within context. Right? So, for example, one of the most useless stats is how much distance someone's run. Right, because that really doesn't tell you anything at all. But people... oh, listen, though, Alex, it, t- it tells you how, how bloody hard those boys work, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. sweat, he sweated himself in the pitch in the middle today. I don't know why I've done an accent. That just seems patronising and rude, doesn't it? It's, I mean, it's, that's almost that's verging on regionalist. I, I don't. I well, I, I apologise to the football community. You're speaking to somebody who's profoundly southern, so I'm not going to get involved in that one. My point being that, generally speaking, distance run is cited as one of the most useless stats, and by and large it is. But if you put distance run alongside things like pressing metrics, or how much another team has gone long and played over the top, and you're looking at how much the defenders are having to run back, that kind of stuff, then all of a sudden it becomes more useful. XG, on its own, at the bottom of the screen after the score... Like, what does that tell you? Well, okay, if, like me, you understand what XG is roughly, then you might look at that and go, oh, okay, fine. But it needs context. It needs, you need to understand why is that? Is that because, you know, does a team have a low XG because they were shooting like idiots as soon as they got within 35 yards of the box? Does that team have a low XG because the other team defended brilliantly? Do they have a low XG because actually they couldn't play a striker because their strikers are all injured, so the only chances they had were coming from midfielders running from deep? You know, there are, there are loads and loads of different reasons why the XG of a particular game is of interest. I mean, actually, as an analytical tool, by and large, XG was developed as a means of evaluating strikers because when you're recruiting a player... If you're recruiting a striker, what you want to see is that that is a player who regularly gets into good scoring positions, because that's kind of the thing that it's harder to teach, right? You, that that sense of, you remember we did the Ryan Sessegnon video recently, and one of the points that was made in that was that he just has this uncanny, despite playing either as a left back or a left winger, 
he has an uncanny ability to be in the right place in the six yard box to to score and that's the sort of thing that it's really difficult to teach people now Ryan Sessegnon across his season would probably have a pretty high xg because that's where he's cropping up and shooting from so if I were looking to scout strikers that's what I would be looking for as one of the factors again not a factor on its own. You won't have any scout worth their salt or any director of performance or director of recruitment who will simply get a spreadsheet of players based on their XG and go, oh, well, he's got a good one, let's go and buy him. Everything is done in context. And what what Match of the Day have done is they've taken what can be, can be a really useful piece of information and they've plonked it at the bottom right-hand side of the screen and they've not really said why or what the point is. Okay, well, expected assists then. Let's talk about that because that seems to be... And I didn't make this video, so let's just be, be clear on that. I don't understand it as well. Actually, I didn't make the other video either, but I do understand XG. Philippe Fenner made both videos, and an excellent job I believe he did. Uh, but uh, uh, assisted... expected. I can't even say it, Alex. Expected assists. Yes. Please explain that to me because I feel like including myself, some of the people listening to you right now perhaps won't understand what that one is, even though it might sound obvious. Okay, so expected assists. um, Initially, the way it was calculated was by looking at the expected goal of a shot taken from that pass, right? Probably not that clear. So Let's put it into context. If Leroy Sané, right, breaks down the right-hand side and left-hand side even because he plays on the left. Uh, oh, crosses getting very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he swaps sides. No. So he crosses He's from on the right. Yeah. He crosses from the left, mm-hmm. right, finds Aguero at the top of the D. Aguero shoots and the XG of that shot is, I don't know, 0.5. So the expected assist from that pass would previously have been seen as being 0.5, right? Right, yeah. What they realised is that that is stupid because it doesn't take a lot of things into account. All it really measures is what happens to where the ball ends up. Now, obviously, there's a whole gamut of different things that need to be taken into account. Is a pass along the ground or is it in the air? Is one of the most obvious things i think the reason they started looking at it is that i don't want to say like not all assists are equal but clearly if you are if you're squaring a simple penalty uh well i don't think that really counts as an assist but i think i mean it does in the stats though doesn't it um it definitely does on video games yeah I don't know if it factors... I mean, there's no way of measuring that as, like, an expected assist because there's not a pass to um, to take into account. But say, you know, if, if you're if you're at the top of the, the D outside the penalty area and you, you tap a, a ball, you know, a metre to your left and then there's Victor Wanyama who smashes it into the top left-hand corner off that pass, mm-hmm. right? You get an assist for that. Which is the same as if you had done this kind of incredible slaloming run right to the byline and pulled it back from just by the edge of the post to a player who's run in 
and scored from that point. Now, clearly, the position of the pass for the second makes a goal much, much more likely. It's it's not the shot that's made the goal; it's the pass. And so, so, so let me let me be clear on this. Then it's the position of the pass and where the pass ends up that that creates the stat, and not the expected goals stat for the striker who's going to shoot at the end. So it's does it's not related to the the striker at all. Just where the pass Correct. ends up. It's entirely. So what yeah. if what if what if you put it down the sort of what would normally be the corridor of uncertainty? But it's there's four defenders in there and it's, it's never ever going in. We all know that. Yeah. But what does that say? What's the XA of that? Okay. Well, the first thing to say is that that some of the like dif- different models use different data sets. So some models with XG or XA take into account the position of defenders. Others don't. Now, obviously it makes more sense to take into account the position of defenders. And that's why if you look at XG models from, you know, if you compare Opta to Understat to InfoGoal, like they will have different, um, they'll have different measurements or different metrics for, for different players because they're not all measuring it in the same way. Um, essentially, expected assists is a way of quantifying based on that pass, where that pass ends up, how it was taken, the form that it takes, whether it's you know a pass along the ground, pass in the air, cross, that kind of thing. If a shot were taken from where that pass finishes, how likely is that to result in a goal? Now, what that means is that you don't even have to have a shot at the end of it. Right. Right. So if that seems confusing. Well, no, because if a player makes a run down the wing and cuts inside and squares a ball across, right? That's a really, really good chance. It shouldn't only be called a good chance if a striker is there to meet it. Well, I can see what you're saying, and and I suppose what that really means is that the expected assist stat then given to to that pass is something that can uh, help evaluate the uh, provider or the player who made the pass. So that's a stat independent of whether there was a goal or not. It helps to show their, exactly their individual performance. Yes. Okay. Okay. And, and again, you know, one of the things to remember is that these stats have been created, for, I suppose, for two reasons. Firstly, to help people understand aspects of football. And I don't think anybody who works on football at a serious level would ever say that anything that's been come up with so far is like the holy grail of analytics as far as football is concerned. Um, but it's a lot of it is also scouting or it's related to player recruitment, retention, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that is in, certainly in terms of financial um, impact, that is the key driver for a lot of the really cutting edge work that's happening and you'll have te- you know companies like statsbomb who started off kind of in the sort of blogger sphere and you know it's now a fully functioning operational business that sells data data viz data analytics to football teams um so they are looking for ways of evaluating players that that can stand independent of other things although these guys are also in te- i mean so you know, you you might have a midfielder who is 
Okay, Brighton and Hove Albion, right? Pascal Gross. Pascal Gross is a beautiful midfielder to watch. Fantastic array of passing, really good positional sense. It's not his fault that there isn't often a good striker playing ahead of him. So if we want to quantify what he does, if we purely rely on assists, then we'd think, well, you know, he hasn't got that many assists because, and that that doesn't necessarily mean that he's been producing poor passes or his positional sense isn't any good. It's because he's passing it to Glenn Murray. So are we saying that expected assists is is a stat that is going to be much more useful for clubs to evaluate players than it is going to be for supporters to make any odds out of it? Yes. And and I don't I don't necessarily feel that some of this stuff is there I it's it's not that it's not there for supporters. But I think it's incumbent on the analytics community, insofar as such a thing exists, to make this stuff accessible, right? So if if it's going to be out there on the BBC, and like Opta are a business, so they Opta have done a huge amount for um, pushing interesting stuff into the mainstream. The Opta Joe Twitter feed is is a superb vehicle for getting people to look at football in context it's obviously in their interests to get things like xg out onto the bbc but i would say like we've said already that it's pointless to just chuck a number up there because you know like possession stats or passes completed or whatever I, i i remember duncan alexander who's the the guy at opta who's sort of behind opta joe and he was one of the two people that, that created that, and he's sort of the public face of Opta to a degree. And he was saying that possession stats suddenly became in vogue when Barcelona were at the height of their kind of tiki-taka stuff, and they were, you know, they were stringing together 900 passes, and they had 75% possession, and everyone was going, oh my god, that's that's amazing, that's amazing. And it is amazing, but it's also entirely reflective of a style of play. And you could have 70% possession, you could string together 850 passes and you can still get beaten 1-0 because Atletico Madrid have got Diego Godin scoring from corners, right? So all of this stuff, irrespective of what it is, has to have context. And whether that context is tactics, whether that context is other analytics whether it's like what we've tried to do with these videos, which is simply to say, hey, you might have heard this terminology, what does it actually mean? I personally, I don't feel it's a football fan's job to go and learn that stuff so that they can then understand what's being given to them. I believe... Particularly if what's being given to them already doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yes. I, I would say it's the broadcaster's responsibility. And, and by broadcaster, I mean that or, or media's responsibility that could be the BBC, that could be us, right? I'm, I'm Tifa, not Tifa football, right? But I'm not going to refer to XG in a video that I make for by the numbers unless I've already explained what that means. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's just stupid. Why would I mm-hmm. say, oh, the XG for Harry Kane, you know, Harry Kane's XG this season is 22.09 and to and, look cool, but it's not cool, is it? 
No, it's not. It's not. It no. would... Let me ask. Let me ask you this though, Alice, because this is cool, right? I, I, I'm not a huge. I'm not a big stats man. You know, I don't. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm number phobic at times. But what I like is uh, the future. Uh huh. I like sci-fi. I like big ideas. I like artificial intelligence. Okay. So when I think about stats in football. I assume, and I suppose you have to assume, that everything is possible. So at the beginning of at the beginning of this podcast, you said that it, look, it's not it's not possible to break football down into a numbers game, which it isn't now. But in theory, if you were able to track everything that you needed to, everything's possible, and and anything that exists can be broken down into uh, a series of numbers, right? Uh, which I mean, I suppose is a, is a good example of what a computer actually is. So. The, one of the reasons I was a bit disappointed to hear that expected assists wasn't in wasn't related to expected goals was because I was hoping that if expected goals was uh, a number given to denote the value of the likelihood of a goal being scored from this shot, that expected assists might take that into account in its own metric so that it would almost take one further step down the chain, if that makes sense. And in theory... You could then, you know, move further and further down the train, uh, or down the chain to have a uh, uh, one one value or one number that is changing constantly that represents at any moment or any time, any place on the pitch how likely something is to happen. You know, I mean that that's entirely possible, and presumably uh, the the more we develop technology to be able to process this information faster than humans can, which is you know happening more and more often the more we might be able to learn about football. Because I, I do believe that there could be, you know, I think it could be, you know, instrumental in um, in helping develop the sport in a way that it already is behind the scenes, uh, particularly with scouting, in a way that people don't really even know about. Yeah, look, I think from a logical point of view, what you're saying is correct. And there's a thing called XG chain, which we've not even got into yet, which which sort of hints towards what you're saying. I think the reason that I'd say that there's no there's no way of of one number solving football per se is because of actually something else that relates to the sort of stuff you're talking about, which is kind of network theory and how in simple terms, because each football team is comprised of 11 players, right? Assuming no one's been sent off and those 11 players are against another set of 11 players. Where they go, take the ball out of the equation, right? Where those players move to is entirely fluid, but they also relate to one another in a kind of network. So straight away, even if you're, even if you're able to quantify the XG of a shot and you're able to take one step back and quantify the XG, the XA of a pass that led to that shot within that context, there are also so many other variables, right? Yeah. So, so you could look at, you could look at, um, because this midfielder was, was stood here. It drew that defender forwards, which allowed for a space there, which allowed for that player to run in behind that, etc., etc., etc. Right, and we've all—it's not just the one chain; it's it's every other variable sparking a chain of its own. Right, and the key point with this is that XG and XA are based on pre-existing data sets. Right, so it's a probabilistic determination based on 
information that has already been recorded to say, well, that shot occurred from here and, you know, it was a goal and that shot occurred from a centimetre to the left and it wasn't. And all of that stuff's been counted up and, and goes into that that decision, not decision-making process, but that, that algorithm that works out there is a 74% chance that a shot taken from this position will become a goal based mm. on everything so that's happened before. So so a computer would have to simulate anything that could, everything that could possibly happen on a, on a football pitch. Well, which would take a very 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 long time. It's not anything that could possibly happen because crucially with XG and XA it's it's stuff which has already happened. No, no, I mean so I mean to, you, to, for the for the future stat not for XG. Oh yeah. So what you well yeah yeah, but I mean, effectively, what can happen is it's verging on infinite, isn't it? Because well, yes, because the, the I mean, it, the possibilities get so complicated so quickly in terms of where people are, how quick they're moving. Where yeah, but think about it in this way instead. Then I mean, you don't you don't need you don't need to simulate everything that could ever possibly happen or beforehand, so that you have all the information to draw on at the time. You just need you just need technology that has a processing power that is strong enough to do this in live time uh, or, or as it's happening to determine based on everyone's position on the pitch and all, all of the variables that are deemed necessary or every variable you know that we could that we could imagine yeah um, uh, is calculated in live time you don't need to have a wealth to draw and if if the computer understands uh how to draw a conclusion or make a prediction from the information that it gets as it happens and with machine learning the more games that the computer analyzes that way the more likely it is to start drawing increasingly correct inferences I, I think the issue is that everything that we've looked at so far is all based on previous occurrences there isn't xg doesn't have a predictive power it's it doesn't you know you can't say that just because a team has an xg across the season or uh, you know, XG divided by XG against is five, and the team they're playing it's point five. So clearly, that team's going to win. You know, it's not that there isn't a correlation yet. You can't say just because a striker is, you know, is, has an XG of twenty across the season, that means there's definitely going to be twenty goals. The whole point of it is to say, based against a kind of average team shooting averagely from this point how would you expect it to do and this you know it becomes interesting when people exceed or go under but it also doesn't mean that you can sit there and confidently assert that harry kane's going to be a 25 goal a season striker next year you know he probably will be but you're not asserting that off his xg you're asserting that off that but also watching him and seeing who he's playing with and all of those other different things so in order to get kind of a machine learning program that would that would come up with some way of evaluating stuff it would still be predicated on what it had already observed happening in previous games and there are so many different permutations that unless you were kind of breaking it down into a initially a sort of a general sense of i don't know if the defensive line moves up 
then you could expect that this might happen. Or if they're playing in this particular formation, there is weaknesses. You can't... This, you can move in so many different ways and so many different places and so many different speeds. And it's, it becomes impossible quite quickly to say that this situation is like that situation which occurred before. And that's why we can expect that this might happen. You can do it with shots and you can do it to a degree with passes, but you can't do it with football generally because there's just too much movement there's too much well the th- yeah i guess so but i mean you know there are there are plenty of, of examples of it being possible within uh situations that you know have slightly less variables like chess for example which doesn't have you know like obviously doesn't have uh complete fluidity but the numbers in, are ridiculous like something it's something like after each player has had three moves that it's something like nine million plus, you know, different potential positions, and it goes up into the billions pretty quickly. My my point is that that's something that you and I can can comprehend, uh, because you know there are there are I suppose a finite number of moves that one player can make at each point during a chess game. But I do I do understand that you know the 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 number of variables in a, in a football game at any given moment were you to pause it would be you know much much higher than that but just because it's a big number doesn't mean that it doesn't, it doesn't exist i think is the no. point i'm making no 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 i i think i think that's true i mean that look with with chess chess you've got a kind of a fixed system haven't you so there are rules about how pieces can move the board spatially is fixed there's... Those rules exist for football. There's just a lot more of them. I mean, there's rules to how the human body can move. The, the, the football pitch always stays the same size. There's rules to how the weather can work. I mean, there's just a lot more of them than there are in chess. Yeah, but I think there's there's a lot more to the point where it becomes. I I, I don't I can't see it happening <laughs> in the long and the short of it. I just think with chess, like yes, I mean obviously, what well, pitches can be different sizes, but. I don't mean in that sense. I mean, what you've got is that you've got a turn-based game. So if if player one does this, then that allows player two three or four options. And then the next move develops, and then that becomes 20 options. And the next move... To, but it's always turn-based. It's not... I agree, but the only difference that makes is that it reduces the number of, uh, of variables. I mean... All you're really saying is that chess isn't as complicated as football is in terms of the number of variables. Uh, that's true, it, but it doesn't. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the number doesn't exist. That, that's that's the only point I'm making. It's, it's not something that we can calculate now, but in the future, it definitely is. But that's how that's how machine learning works, and that's how Deep Blue was able to beat Gary Kasparov eventually. Was that enough of that information was fed into it? so that it could run those permutations. The computer doesn't sit there and like actually think. It runs a series... I mean, I know you know this, but it, in order for it to have the information available to be able to do that for football, it would have to have watched every single football match ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and it still probably wouldn't well, I mean, be able every, to guess. Every single, football match, every single football match ever that is recorded to watch for a supercomputer is not... Is not the huge task that it would be for you or I. No, but but then it also it it would need to work out. You know, it would need to work out if the player on the ball was 
Lionel Messi or Klaus Lundekvam. You know, it's like you, that's you, the thing. Is, the thing is, short of like some sort of you know uh, apocalypse, it's a logical certainty that it, it will happen. You know that that that's all I'm saying. I know this this podcast has become ridiculous. It's become ridiculous, Alex. I don't think and it this has. is not what we meant to talk about. I think but it's, all the I only I just much will more... make my point right. is that it is a logical certainty that it will happen in the future uh, unless there's some sort of you know catastrophic event that stops people playing football and stops computers. It it the number exists. So as soon as the processing power. Uh, it is it exists uh, for us to be able to recognise it. You know, I'm not saying we can do it now. We definitely can't do it now. But I, I think maybe I'm a fool. And let's find someone who understands maths in a way that I don't to come on here and explain to me why I'm an idiot. But I, I think I think a number to solve football does exist. Right. We just can't get it now. You see, I. I... It's it's an odd one because I don't agree based based I believe in robots based in the way that things have been done to this point and and that's not just football stat stuff that's machine learning in general. What's ended up happening is that that the stats advocate is saying there's no way of solving football and the person who isn't an advocate of stats goes it's a logical certainty that it will occur. So this is probably not the way that either of us would have envisage this conversation going i i just think it's too i think it's too variable i think it's too diffuse i think there's too many possibilities you might get to a point where well uh, it would it would be a lot easier to get to a point where you could say okay it's one specific team that you focused on and you've watched that one particular team and you've looked at you know and then start to try and but ultimately how are you going to thinking like a man in 2018 that's not what i'm that's not what i'm talking about i mean will you agree with because this is just a fact okay. okay will you agree with me that there is a number to denote how many different variables there are and you could in theory have an equation that gave you a statistic that told you about a combination of all of those variables because there are numbers for all of them. I mean, yeah, we, we, in we theory, don't know. Right. In theory. But, 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 that, but that's the just that's how maths works. But it's, is that there, there is definitely a number for that. It's just so big and so complicated that we couldn't possibly comprehend it. Right. But based on, on the fact that the universe exists and that maths <laughs> exists, there is a number for it. Okay. Yeah. So to say, of course, it's complicated. I don't, I'm not arguing that. I don't have I'm a... not saying you and I could go to the football on Saturday and then suddenly we could predict what was going to happen. What I'm saying is that in a thousand years' time, a uh, technological being which is a thousand million times m- more intelligent than you, even me, even more intelligent than me, Alex, <laughs> right? It, it could perhaps begin to do this sort of thing. It is a logical certainty that we will get to that point because everything that happens in life... Ha- could have a numerical value added to it. It's just that it's possible for our tiny, teeny human brains to comprehend that, you know. But it, 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 everything has a everything has a numerical value. It what ev- ev- it ha- it has even to, life to itself. Yeah, but of course, there's an equation for life. Now we're talking. Now we're to- now we're not on football Listen, anymore. The pro- the problem with this is you know. Trying to imagine what's going to happen beyond the point of singularity is pointless. Mm. So uh, we probably should have stopped when we got to that bit about Victor Wanyama banging it in from uh, the <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's nice to venture into slightly more obtuse and esoteric realms every once in a while. Sure. 
Sure. Well, that's 40 minutes of that, so I reckon that's probably enough. Uh, Alex Stewart, thanks very much. Uh, We'll speak to you again soon. I look forward to it. Take care.